Hey everybody, we're the Menchwarmers. I'm Jamie. I'm here with my co-host Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? Um, you know, as I said to you earlier, it's another day on God's uh, ever winter greening earth. Um, I don't know if you've been. I'm, I've been enjoying the great weather. I think today in Toronto it was approximately 25 degrees outside. Oh yeah. Um, in early February, but a great sign that the sun is shining on uh, National Girls and Women in Sports Week. Yeah, that's right. Uh, which brings us here to the theme of our episode today. Yeah, we have a really good interview uh, coming up with Chelsea Goldberg. Uh, I should say, I should say, I have an interview coming up. Gabe had technical difficulties, uh, unfortunately, so it's just me. Uh, I would say the the less uh, hockey knowledgeable uh, of our co-hosts. It's, it's okay. Most of my questions, I mean, in addition to all of her accomplishments and you know her spot in the Jews and Sports Hall of Fame, the Southern California Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, her work with the Los Angeles Kings, Maccabi Hockey, all of those incredible things. I was also planning on asking her about any of the Goldbergs that I know in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, always a good opportunity to, to play Jewish geography uh, when we have a guest on. Uh, with, uh, exactly. with, with a, um, one of the big Jewish last names, I guess. Um, probably the best. What 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 is the town she is living in now? Did we determine if she's the only Jew in that uh, town? I did ask her about that. It is, I'm not going to try the pronunciation, but she does say it. It is in rural Sweden, uh, like near where Sweden meets up with Finland up at the Arctic Circle. So, uh, you know, it's pretty far north. She thought she was probably the only Jew in town. Um, but, you know, she seems to have a great time out there and uh, you know, doing some great work. So um, very excited for that interview with her. Uh, as you as you mentioned, Gabe, it is National Girls and Women in Sports Day on February 7th, which is should be when this is coming out, hopefully. Hopefully when you're listening to it as well. Um, and we want to have a, a great female Jewish athlete on to, to talk about it. So, you know, Chelsea's been really um, important in, in, in starting the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association and also in getting uh, ice hockey for women in, in Maccabi Games, which is something we've talked about in the last couple of years. We've had, you know, members of the the gold medal winning Canadian team on this podcast yeah. and, and happy to have um, members of the American team as well. And, and you know, a lot of recent we've had some Jewish women uh, hockey players, which we are thrilled to have at any time and will will continue to do so. Um, speaking of National Girls and Women in Sports Day, digging a little into the history of the day, mm-hmm. I think we might have our first female Mike Jacobs all-star. Oh, yeah. Who's that? Uh, at least first in a long time. So... The day was created in memory of Olympic volleyball player Flo Hyman. Um, wow. Actually, Flora Hyman, um, who really sounds like, you know, so-and-so's booby. Um, but instead, no, she is not. She is from Los Angeles as well. She's a professional volleyball player who tragically died at age 31 mm-hmm. um, while, you know, playing professionally in Japan. Um, and sort of to remember her as an Olympic hero. Um, and sort of a tireless advocate for national girls and women's in sports. Her death was, uh, I would say, memorialized into a day to uplift um, all sort of all women in professional sports. And I think we're seeing a lot of that this last year, especially, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of attention in Canada paid to the PWHL. Um, you know, there's a game in Toronto next week that sold out right. 18,000 seats. Um, which is pretty exciting between Toronto and Montreal. Toronto and Ottawa, I think, are playing in Pittsburgh the following week. Um, so the league is definitely trying to to take advantage of the marketing wins that they've had now. Okay. Um, yeah. And we obviously support that. Yeah. So for Flo Hyman, not Jewish, but Mike Jacobs also sounds like she could be. Uh, I guess one that we'd mm-hmm. be happy to have had. But it, it, it's an ongoing uh, a struggle for women's sports, I think, in various ways and for Jewish women as well. And I, I got into that a little bit with Chelsea. Um, before we get to the interview, I uh, just want to, you know, we just had an episode last week, so just want to touch on a few things 
Um, going on the the last episode we did was about the NHL All Star Game being a particularly Jewish All Star Game. Um, there was a bit of an incident. I don't know exactly how to describe it. Uh, this is the story is basically that the woman who sang the American national anthem did so in a, I guess, kafia inspired sweatshirt. I, I would say it looks more like a Bear Bryant houndstooth to me, but uh, maybe that's the uh, Crimson Tide <laughs> yeah, fan in me. I I, I can only I, see houndstooth uh, where others are seeing kafia, but she so she I, I see this with a lot of. Mm-hmm. I I do not understand. I I do not mean to disrespect the cultural and realist significance of the kafia. Sure, but like. Like we should not wear a scarf that looks like a talus, right? Like that would be bad for the talus. Like, is that an accepted? I, thing I don't know. To do I mean, I don't like think the kafia. I don't think the kafia is like a religious object per se. Um, okay. So I guess it's more equivalent to like someone wearing a sahal baseball hat, which certainly Jews yes. uh, do, <laughs> especially if they're I, trying to trying to show a, a certain political sport. Um, no, we've we've avoided for a long time Yasser Arafat jokes on this podcast. Um, we've avoided, you know, generally. Have we? I feel like uh, we've probably made a few. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but my dad always say that he is single handedly responsible for the return of the Legionnaires hat uh, into popular right. culture. You know, if you're um, gonna if you're gonna be like an autocratic, uh, you know, leader of some sort, you need to have a specific clothing like look. Like that's like yeah. oh, that's an fine. iconic hat is is real good, real, yeah. real really good. For I mean, that. typically I, it's gonna be something know, military related, especially if you're like you know a Colonel Gaddafi type. Uh, I, well, I think speaking speaking of Jews, we've got you know upcoming convert Javier Malay in Argentina, who I think is bringing the iconic toupee uh, into. <laughs> well, he's, you know, he's the mutton chops man. But yeah. you know, if you're if you're a dictator, if you're a dictator and your vibe is just like ah, I wear a suit, it's like no, you got to step it up. Like I want Mandarin collar, uh, <laughs> you know, a Mao jacket. Like no, no, I'm just saying. Like there's there's things you can do to give yourself an iconic look. Uh, anyway, yeah. anyways, this, this, I, I like this I is, like your Colonel Gaddafi and and you know your your uh, uh, General Perone and so on and so forth. Right. You know, uh, standard military fatigues are really good. It'd be really wild to see like a U.S. president like you know Ike Eisenhower wore a suit every day, not like you know uh, uh, his like um, Marine suit, you know, with the sword and the hat. Sure, like, you he didn't wear a dress uniform. Yeah. Uh, yes, uniform. That's the word I'm Anyways, to get us to get us back on topic. So here, here's what happened. This woman, uh, Kiana Lede, American singer. I'd never heard of her. I guess she did the MLB All Star Game anthem last year. People were pointing out. Um, did okay. So she didn't do anything at the All Star Game aside from singing the American anthem in this kafia inspired sweatshirt. Uh, she she did have some posts on social media previously that were pretty explicitly pro Palestine, and uh, you know she she did write on a note one time. If you're a Zionist, feel free to stay your ass at home. Like you know, at nothing, home? nothing like for what? Nothing like what, you know, explicitly. You know what she was referring to? What I don't know. Particular event was she uninviting us? I, from? I don't know. I think it was just uh, in general. So okay. I, 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 anyways, all this to say, this has blown up a little bit. There are articles in some of the Toronto newspapers about this. Uh, I, I guess my feeling is like. It's not. It's not like I wouldn't call it like complete nothing burger. Like this is nothing, and no one should care about this. I, I understand if you do care about this. I think it's it, it's fine to care about things, but I feel like this is just like ah uh, yeah, the NHL like doesn't have someone always who vets who sings the national yeah. anthem in terms of like let's make sure all of their social media posts are not going to arouse controversy. Something. I mean, something. I I'm going to say this with no due respect to the artist called the Rec Laws. But 
they seem to not have vetted if the people singing the Canadian anthem were actually good. <laughs> so now I'm not sure that they're vetting, you know, every social media post. Like there's an old saying. Uh, I don't remember the name of the law. I think it's called Godwin's Law on the Internet, where uh, the way to get an answer to a question isn't to ask, but it's to post the wrong thing. No, Godwin's Law, Godwin's is, law is the one that eventually, uh, a comparison to Hitler is going to be Oh, well, that's, that's relevant to Cunningham's Law. Cunning, it's Cunningham's, okay, Cunningham's law. law. It's the one I'm thinking uh, of. I guess you is, proved it by, is, by saying the wrong thing and then having it be Yeah, there, it's, hey, this is, we've gone meta here. That's exactly right. Um, I think that, so I think that's sort of what happened here is that like, well, I think it's. People I think it's, who are looking for this stuff are going to find. Them. Yeah, and I think I think that in regards to the NHL, like the the rule that applies here is Hanlon's razor of just like let's not ascribe to malice what could more easily be ascribed to stupidity, uh, and, and not even just stupidity of just like like yeah, we don't actually care that much about who's singing the anthem at the NHL All Star game enough yeah. to like make sure um, that all their posts are above board because like. Let's be honest, like the people who, uh, you know, whatever, it was at, it was in Toronto. Involved in high levels uh, yeah, I, I don't know precisely how the NHL All-Star game gets gets underway, but like I would presume the owner of the team in the host city would have some say on what's going on or people involved. Possibly like also the Jewish commissioner of the league. <laughs> exactly. So would, like would be interested and, in such a thing. And not even just from like a Jewish perspective, but just from like a, we are a, you know, trying to be a four quadrant organization here. Uh, we yeah. would not like to offend anyone if we can. I mean, the NHL has gone further than some people would think is is reasonable in the last year or so by like getting rid of Pride Nights or Pride Tape, at least. Uh, sorry, not Pride Nights, but Pride Tape, right? That yeah. people people thought that was Even pretty silly. They, like they stopped punishing people for for breaking that rule. Yeah, I just um, mean that they they want to be. Every league would like to be an amorphous blob upon which yeah, the, the, you can put whatever positive feelings stances, you have. Yeah, exactly. And that like look at the way the NHL is having to deal with like. These nuts conspiracy theorists who like think that uh, you know Taylor Swift and Tra- Tra- Travis Kelsey is, a, is an op, and that like this is all like a, a Biden plot uh, to get the Chiefs to win the Super it's, Bowl. And I, it's like my take on that. Like the op is so much simpler. The op is sell records and get people to watch football. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty. Like it's pretty on the surface. I, anyways, I just mean yeah. that like it, if anyone comes away from this being like I'm not watching hockey anymore uh, because of this, like you you have lost the plot. Sir, like you, you okay. made it. You've taken this too far. If you come away from this being like, "Wow, I guess the NHL shouldn't have done that." I wish they would take better care or like not platform. Pay more attention to who they hire. Yeah, like I guess I, I wish they didn't platform people whose views I disagree with. It's like I, I guess that's fair, but like that's that's life. Like that's going to happen sometimes. I don't know. I I also think maybe this is where I'm going to go a little bit further than you. I okay. think and say that the All Star Game itself is a sideshow that is non-canon in the league. Austin Matthews does not get credit for the three goals he scored. Sure. Connor McDavid does not get any... The Edmonton Oilers do not get any points for him winning the the uh, skills competition. He gets some cash, but I think that, like, generally all-star festivities are a blip that doesn't actually reflect the product on the, uh, you know, of the league itself. Um, and, you know, thinking about whether or not someone's behavior at an exhibition game whether it's the organization of the league or the players itself has an effect on the actual 
you know, politics or product of the league. Like, no, it is a sideshow that is meant to bring casual fans into the game. So you're saying and, if she was if she was singing at the at the Stanley Cup Finals, then that would be a problem. But uh. yeah, I, I actually do think that. I think if the if it was like like an, an important thing, then it maybe maybe if the Israeli Palestinian conflict was riding on the outcome of the game, right? Um, there was the blue and white team against the red, black, and green team, right? Uh, you know, and and whoever won had to surrender. I don't know. Um, then it would be a little bit more serious, but I think, no, I think it is, it is, you know, ironically brought more eyeballs to something that doesn't really have an effect on our everyday lives. Sure. And I said, I will all due respect to Connor McDavid's skills competition win. I, I do think this is, this is a good example though, if anything, of just like the microcosm that is sports and just like anyone who, who feels like, you know, keep your politics out of sports. Like, all right, it's reasonable enough to feel, but like, it's going to get, it's going to find its way in. And like, uh, there, there's no two ways about it. Like, and, and people will use sports as a, as a, you know, as a way to bounce ideas or, or interpret their worldview and, and outlook on life, no matter what. And that's always, that's always going to be the case. So, uh, yep. I think that's interesting. Um, anyways, I think that's our two cents on the matter. I really feel like it has had like a day and a half of oxygen and that's been like more than enough enough yeah <laughs> and, and I, this I, is not like, like this is this is um uh, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that it's like uh as, as our producer michael used to say should the jews be mad about this like is this is this We're what gonna, we need to care about yeah uh and i feel like the answer is on this one it's getting it's getting a no from us i'd also like to point out the irony of uh you know she is supporting she is wearing a, a garment supporting a country that she believes in right or wrong while singing the song about how great one country is compared to all of the other countries. Sure. Uh, Like the national anthem itself. I don't want to call it. I'm not saying it's problematic, but I'm saying it is a, a nationalistic thing. Sure. Uh, You know, Um, Francis Scott Key wrote the star spangled banner is one of the, uh, you know, greatest intellectual supporters of slavery throughout the 19th century. Uh, yeah, you want to talk about things that are wrong with the national, the American national anthem? There, there is exactly. any, any number of things. It's about the Civil War and the bad side. Yeah, so I mean, it's not about the Civil War; it's about the War of eighteen twelve. But uh, oh. regardless, he also the bad side. Sure, from our uh, at least that's what grade nine history uh, in in our uh, yeah. Canadian education system taught, taught me. Uh, but regardless, uh, I, anyways, it, it's a good point. It is ironic to be making a certain type of political argument while singing any national anthem, least of all the American one. And exactly. uh, yeah, least of all at a, at a, you know, Toronto Maple Leaf hosted. Yeah. In Canada. Game. <laughs> Anyways, it's, yeah. people will, people will use their platforms. That's, that's, that's life. Um, why don't we leave it there? Again, it's enough oxygen for this. And, and mm. let's move on to our interview with Chelsea Goldberg. Don't take half measures when it comes to home security. Alarms and cameras work, but they'll only tell you that your worst nightmare just came true. Safety Screen by Metalex for windows and doors will keep your family safe and sound with real stopping power. They can't be cut, pried, or bashed in, so you can enjoy carefree ventilation in the spring and fall with peace of mind. And protect your fixed windows and doors with rock glass, an absolutely unbreakable clear covering. Call 416-638-2539 or visit metalexsecurity.com to book your free consultation. That's M-E-T-A-L-E-X security.com. Remember, prevention is always better than the cure. 
so proud uh, to be joined today by Chelsea Goldberg, uh, professional women's hockey player. Chelsea, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Chelsea, can you tell our listeners uh, where where are we uh, speaking to you from? Where are you right now? Uh, I'm recording live from Sweden right now, but a little north of Stock, actually quite a bit north of Stockholm in uh, Celestio. Um, it's about okay. a 45 to an hour flight and probably like seven, eight hour drive from Stockholm. So we're up north here. And I take it, are you the only uh, Jewish person in rural Sweden right now? Or at least that part of Sweden? I think so. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but I believe just based off conversations I am. Yeah. And uh, as I understand, this is pretty far from from where you started. You grew up in uh, in Southern California, in fact, correct? Correct. A little far. My travel out here was wild. Uh, it was like going on 48 hours of traveling, which was crazy just with the time change and everything. So yeah, a little far. Wow. A little uh, yeah. different climate change too. Right. I, I, I should say this is the first interview. I think we had to we had to adjust the scheduling because you had just been signed uh, to a contract in Sweden and had to get out there to play. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about about growing up and, and getting into hockey. Um, so, you know, we're I'm in Toronto. It, it, everyone plays hockey if, if they like. It's not it's not complicated to get into. I assume getting into hockey as a Southern Californian is more uh, against the grain or a little bit more takes a little bit more effort on your part. So what was your journey into uh, into hockey as a kid? It's definitely a little different than Toronto, I must say. Um, do you play yourself, by the way? Uh, I don't. I actually am the rare exception. You're the, yeah, of, uh, so you're uh, the rare one. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, and, and I think if I, I, I'm I'm six three, and uh, I think if anyone realized how how big I was going to get, maybe they would have forced my parents <laughs> to put me into hockey at an early age. So no, it's all good. Um, and yeah, in California, it's obviously not the most common sport. It's growing a lot, and it's really cool to see, especially right from when I grew up playing, and then. Actually, coming back to LA and seeing the growth firsthand has been so cool. But yeah, growing up, I actually had to play with the boys. I didn't have to, but just logistically and geographically, playing with the boys made the most sense uh, where my parents sure. lived and whatnot. So, grew up playing with, actually, started with roller hockey just for fun. A uh, group of our guy friends, I have a twin brother, so naturally just very close with, um, sure. you know, our combined group of friends and our group of guy friends got rollerblades so we got rollerblades started playing roller hockey and then loved it switched to ice so then i started playing boys hockey with my twin and the boys and then eventually got a concussion um once i think i hit the i think it was maybe bantam double a and um ended up going switching to girls at that point and okay from there i i realized i mean earlier i realized that I had the potential and the motivation and the talent to take it to the next level. And so that's when college hockey and USA hockey and um, all the higher level competition came into mind after that. Right. So I guess, so you went to Northeastern University uh, in Boston uh, to play at the collegiate level. I think that's, if you want to play at a, at a high level division one, it's, it's really like Midwest and Northeast basically. Uh, not, I, I mean, I'm sure there are California teams or, or there are, uh, uh, division one teams maybe in the pack, what used to be called the pack 12, but I, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't even know if that's the case to be honest. No, yeah, no, not at all. So, uh, I would say the majority of the division one programs that catch people's attention are in the Midwest and then Northeast, um, Boston area has a ton of schools. And, um, right. so when I was visiting schools, actually, I started in Minnesota, so Minnesota and Wisconsin, those are my two first schools that I visited. And then um, after that, 
I realized that I really wanted to be in Boston after playing a few tournaments and playing a lot of games there at the youth level. Um, I actually went to high school in Vermont to compete at the highest level at that point in time, just to higher okay. my chances of getting seen for college because coming from California, the recruiting uh, is very slim to none out there. So I had to make myself known on the East Coast if I wanted to play Division One. Um and obviously get a chance and, with the national us, team and whatnot. Right. Take us through a little bit after after university, how things went for you with professional hockey, because there's been a lot of sort of um, turmoil in, in professional women's hockey and things having difficulty. But, uh, you know, you were involved with the uh, PWHPA uh, after university. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that and, and what that was like. Yeah, my journey was a little bit different than a lot of other uh, athletes, per se, and then specifically women's hockey players, I'm assuming. I ended up breaking both my legs, so I, I felt like I felt like my like professional career started later, um, and that's when I was did like... Did you break your legs playing? Did you break, break your legs playing hockey? Yeah, yeah, and so I was yeah. out for four years at one point, so I felt like I lost a lot of my college years, and so I felt like that um, me losing those years, I still had a lot of energy in my tank and I still wanted to be part of a team. And obviously I wasn't ready to be done playing, but breaking both your legs obviously is like physically exhausted, but then you have a lot of <laughs> right. mental adversity to overcome as well. So I actually thought after university, um, that I would be done playing just because of my journey with breaking my legs, but I really missed it come to find out I missed obviously the you know the family that you get from being a part of a team and you know basically having a sisterhood built in I missed competing and training for a purpose and a reason and whatnot so um it actually was kind of crazy how it all happened but I was applying to get uh into the master's program at Northeastern and then I got a call from the Boston professional team coach at the time, it was the CWHL, so the Canadian Women's Hockey League at the time. And this coach happened to be the coach at University of New Hampshire. And so he was actually recru recruiting me before I signed to play Northeastern. So he knew who I was. I knew who he was. We had a good relationship. And he was like, I'd love to have you on my team. Um, and ended up getting drafted into the CWHL to play for the Boston Blades. And so that was how my professional career started was in the CWHL with the Boston Blades. And then uh, fast forward, I'll just take you through the little journey of professional women's hockey here. So we ended up um, collectively folding as a league and we all joined together to join the PWHPA. And for those listening, that's the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. And so basically all 200 plus of us um, that were basically a part of the CWHL came together and we knew that we deserved more and better. And so we actually were fighting for a sustainable league from the PWHPA. Right. And so I- And this was sort of the, the first uh, like women's professional hockey union, uh, and it was, or, you know, it was sort of the union first Correct. Uh, yeah, it was, idea, right? Yeah, it, I mean, that's why we called it an association so we could come together right. and actually fight for what we deserved. And um, so I was very fortunate enough to be a part of that for the past few years. and um play and continue to compete and play against the top players in the world you know and i think that's an honor in itself but at the same time like one of the reasons why i was i really wanted to be a part of it and continue to be a part of it was to actually 
be one of those members fighting for that foundation for the young girls to actually dream about playing professional hockey. So it's so cool looking back, knowing that I was a part of the the starting blocks and the foundation of creating that professional league now. Um, so now young, right. young players can now dream about playing professional women's hockey. I think that's so cool. And, and it's really impressive to see what the PH, PWHL has, uh, has developed into this year. You know, it's off to a really great start. We've seen that in Toronto uh, where we have a team uh, and we spoke a few weeks ago to, to uh, Kelly Fradkin, who's uh, playing in Boston. Uh, you know, there's it, it, a lot of optimism I think is, is really great. Um, just pivoting a little bit, I want to talk about your role uh, within, specifically within Jewish sports and within Maccabi Yab because uh, last, the last Maccabi Yab back in 2022 was the first time that there was uh, women's hockey as, as one of the activities. And how did, uh, what was your involvement in that or how did that uh, get underway? Yeah, um, so it was actually another wild journey uh, with that. And it was it was an eight-year project of mine that actually came to fruition um, what is, like two years ago now. It's crazy to say almost okay. two years ago now. But for the first games, um, so my twin brother actually got announced to play with the men in 2013, I believe. And I actually asked, uh Maccabi USA if I could play with the men and they said play, to play with the men yeah right. and they said no and so um I was like okay and then like in the back of my mind I really I really believed that there needed to be a women's division like if that was the case and so sure. uh he also he also made the team again in 2017 I asked again if I could play with the the, the men and they said no so within that timeline I actually joined forces with the the chairs of Hockey Maccabi um, USA okay. and made it a goal to get women's hockey to Maccabi uh, and to Israel. And um, just long story short, after years, legitimately eight years in the making of, um, you know, I, I, had to, I had a spreadsheet going for that long and basically... As I could think of players that I played against or with, uh, I would add them to the list, and then I would right. I would ask if they knew any Jewish players that would want to play, and then it was just like a snowball effect of like, do you know anybody that would want to play uh, in Israel for the Wakabi games? And if so, send them my way. And it was a ton of social media posts, and then eventually, what happened was um, I actually played against. Uh, player in the Canadian Women's Hockey League named Melissa and she uh, replied to one of my stories I think on Instagram and was like oh my gosh no way I've been trying like I've been wanting to do this and I've been interested in doing this as well and from there I was like let's join forces you take the Canadian side I'll continue with the U.S. (laughs) side and then we learned that Team Israel had a team and they had been practicing and right uh, and then I took all that info back to uh, Maccabi USA, and then we would hop on, we would hop on weekly, biweekly, monthly calls, even with um, just Maccabi overall, and get all forces together. And we learned that we needed three teams in order to field a division. And it right. was so exciting when we actually learned that we had enough interest from the Canadian side, the U.S. side generated so much interest, and then. Um, and then we learned that Team Israel had a team. So it was just so cool to see it all come together. I mean, at the time of me 
wanting to play with the boys. I didn't really know if it was going to be possible, but whenever I set my mind to something, I find a way to make it happen. So I didn't know how long it would take, but it it was one of those um, goals and visions that I had to continue to grow hockey as a whole and then breaking that sure. down even further, women's hockey. So it was just so... That's great. I mean, I yeah. think we've we've really seen the development of, of, of hockey in Israel, including women's hockey as well. Just the idea that they're able to put a team together uh, for Maccabi Up purposes and, and now for starting to be in international competitions is amazing. It's, it, it's a great story. It's one that we've heard... Um, uh, from a few different people in different sports uh, of like, you know, we're trying to put a, a team of Jews together. Uh, I know one and he knows one or she knows one. And like, we're going to get everybody's names and contact information. You know, your, your, your last name is Goldberg. So maybe it's easy for someone to spot you, but I'm sure there were some people on the team who, uh, you know, Oh, no one realized they were Jewish until, until, uh, you know, they, they needed to get in touch with them or they revealed themselves or something like that. Um, what was it, you know, as a kid, I, I take it there were probably teams where you were the only Jewish kid on the team uh, and, and probably still now as we, we made the joke at the beginning about being in Sweden. Uh, you know, has that been a barrier at all? Has that been something you've come up against or uh, has there been has there been anti-Semitism? I assume it's I, I don't maybe incorrectly, but I, I sort of assume it's it's not as bad in women's sports, which are more in, inclusive altogether than than in men's sports. But I, I'd be interested to know if that's been something you've uh, you've had to deal with at all. I have been um, the only Jewish player on a lot of my teams, but I've also had other teammates along the way that um, maybe there's been one or two of us, maybe three, four, like at most. So yeah, it's always been, I would say one to maybe three or four of us at a time. Um, And it's been interesting to say the least, but everybody's been very respectful and I I truthfully um, have gotten support from everyone along the way and you know my friends will make jokes here and there but like i take it very okay. light lightheartedly and um just you know being like the only jewish player sometimes like that's you know just a something to talk about sometimes but like for the most part no anti-semitism I, i've experienced anti-semitism for sure but not like it i would not say in the sporting world or athletic field at all right that's great. Um, that's good to hear. I mean, I'm glad to hear that about about sports. Certainly, it's it's been a common thing we've heard from lots of male athletes. But I, again, I, I do feel like women's sports tend to be more inclusive and understanding, or uh, all sorts of things, right? Um, but uh, I want to mention as well that it is uh, National Girls and Women's in Sp- Women in Sports Day uh, coming up in a few days. Uh, I think when we're launching this podcast, so excited to um, be able to celebrate that. Is there something that uh, is there anything that you think about in terms of continuing to have women involved in, in hockey, especially, or or something specifically for Jewish girls and Jewish women to be involved in sports? Is there is there anything you think about or, or think needs to be done or you'd like to see more of uh, in the future? Well, I, I think I think one of the biggest things that comes to mind is just, you know, the marketing and promoting women's sports as a whole. I think like sure. the, if you if you create a place and to play, you know, fans will show up like and and we've right. seen that now with the new league and the pwhl um you know record numbers sell out crowds so if you build it, it like it'll happen and people will come and i think just to continue moving forward as we are in this era where women's sports are continuing to grow um which is so exciting i think it's just so important to continue that marketing and the promotion behind us and um, just that 
we can play and we can play just as much as anybody else can play. And I think uh, that's a message that for me is really important across the board, not even on the female side, but even just like geographically too, I think I've been doing a lot of work abroad, whether it's in Israel, uh, I went to Brazil to help grow the game out there. And now I'm in Sweden kind of getting a feel for what it's like out here. And, and to me, it's so important to continue to grow the game. So I think just even on a broad level, just being able to promote um, our talent and promote the idea that everybody can play and everybody deserves the chance to play, I think is super important. And that's something that I really um, strive to help with uh, the game as a whole. That's great. I think that's a, that's a great sentiment to, uh, to leave things on. And uh, I want to thank you again for, for joining me today this has been a great interview thanks so much and yeah. you know good luck with the rest of your season in sweden yeah thank you so much for having me wow what a fascinating interview what an interesting life a uh, lot of nachis for chelsea goldberg on this side yeah, of the absolutely. podcast mike absolutely um and and thank you for quarterbacking that <laughs> while i ran around my office trying to figure out how to get internet and audio correct no problem so much appreciated um Something we want to talk about before we go, while we're on the topic of hockey, history, and Judaism, as we normally are, uh, got a great email from a listener this week, um, and thank you to our producer, Michael, for sending this email along. Um, we're talking about the, not the former Blue Jays, Tampa Bay Rays, and Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher, um, but our listener, <laughs> David Price, yeah, uh, has written into us with his collection of Jewish NHL hockey par- uh, hockey cards. Yeah, thanks so um, much. Let me tell thanks you. so much for doing that. He has cards going back all Some the way. Some of these, to- I gotta say, are really kick ass. Yeah, he, um, he, has, he cards all the way going back to uh, Alex Levinsky, who's someone I was not aware of, but was a uh, Toronto Maple Leaf in the early 1930s. Uh, he, he had about 12 years in the league. Grew up in Toronto. Jewish guy. Um, unfortunately, it's a this isn't a visual medium. It would be great to be able to share these. Um, maybe we can figure yeah. out something else in the future, but very okay, cool so, to see so these, these old hockey cards. I'm looking at a, a Phil Stein hockey card. Phil is it's got a blue background uh, with a, a yellow seal. I, I'm not going to go on. I wanted to follow up and ask. <laughs> you know, we're seeing a lot of these cool ones. Um, one thing missing. He's got Josh Hosang. Uh, he's got you know uh, uh, you know a couple of of multiracial Jews. We're missing a little Peter Ng. Okay, uh, would love to see Peter Ng in this list. Um, I've been looking for a Peter Ng card myself. Um, you know, I know that uh, Jamie, you like a wager here or there, <laughs> um, but and he is an executive with the Casino Niagara Group um, and former uh, Chinese Jewish Leafs goalie yeah. Peter Ng. He also has cards, uh, Bob Plager cards. You know, Bob Plager is uh, he's a convert. Uh, he's the yeah. only Jew uh, to ever come from Kirkland Lake, Ontario. Uh, oh, you know, uh, that is the hometown of my friend Tom. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there, there you go. Great. Bob Plager. How about that? Yeah, converted Jews and married, married a Jewish woman uh, when he played for the uh, – someone who worked for the St. Louis Blues, I think. Um, but- uh, you should uh, – if Dave, if you're listening, you should pair that um, – Pair that card with uh, uh, a Nate Thompson card. Yeah, right. Um, Jude, another converted, Jews, converted yeah. NHL. Anyways, thanks so much to David for reaching out. Uh, we love to hear from listeners. Uh, if you want to, if you ever want to reach out, 
Uh, we had another listener reach out last week to uh, ask us why we hadn't talked about Adam Fox as one of the members of the NHL All-Star Game. And the reason was because he didn't make the All-Star uh, Game this year. Uh, he this year was not yeah, Adam's year. He has in years past, but uh, hasn't been hasn't been the season. Uh, but again, we love the feedback. We love hearing from, from you guys. Um, you know, reach out to us on Twitter at Menchwarmers. Uh, you know, we're usually killing time there, here and there, uh, talking about <laughs> Jewish sports stuff. So, uh, you know, feel free to, to get in touch. Um, as always, we're brought to you by the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, our, our executive producer is Michael Freeman, uh, who's going to be on Siesta soon. Uh, but, uh, you know, we look forward to more more podcasts this spring. Uh, you can always find our podcast at the Canadian Jewish News website, the cjn.ca. And like and subscribe to, you know, our, our podcast and your podcast app, whatever you use on your phone. Thank you.